Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday School Hour for uh, June the 4th of 2023. And as we make our way through the book of Galatians, what a wonderful book and a clarifying and confirming book for so many people. As we said before, this was one of the books that really um, got a hold of Martin Luther and caused him to break away from uh, Catholicism and launch the Reformation. Well, we uh, from time to time need a little reformation in our lives too as we are reminded of what the gospel really is. It's not just a word. It's not just for non-believers. It's not just kind of the baby steps of Christianity. It is really the core doctrine of everything that we believe. It's what brings us into salvation. It literally, uh, the word gospel in the Greek is euangelion, uh, it, we get our word evangel or evangelism uh, from that. And, uh, but more literally, it means good news. And it's good news because, think about the hymn, that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. And we forget just how helpless we really were. The... Uh, Part of the uh, Reformed doctrine that, uh, you know, is, is described as tulip, the acrostic. And when you think of uh, T, total depravity, that doesn't mean that everybody is as bad as they could be because uh, some lost people are really nice and really kind and empathetic. And uh, others are, you know, you have mass murderers and rapists and those uh, hell's angels, you know, those type of people. I remember Brother Carl Kerrigan saying one time, if I've got to live beside a lost person, he goes, I'm like anybody else. I'd rather live beside a religious and somewhat moral lost person as opposed to a hell's angels. But um, nonetheless, whether they're good or bad or moral or not, they're still lost. And um, somebody said one time, if, if sin were a shade of blue, it means that uh, before salvation, everything I do, religious things, good things, helpful things, kind things, are all some shade of blue. Some are really dark blue and some are light blue, but nonetheless, they're all stained by sin. And uh, the doctrine of total depravity really would better be described as total inability, total inability. We're unable to change who we are. We're unable to change the stain of sin or cleanse the stain of sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so uh, the good news is that God sent His Son, and while Jesus was on earth, He did something that we're totally incapable of, and that is to live a perfect life that is totally pleasing to God the Father. And he did that for us. Um, I think it's in Romans where Paul said, we're not only saved by his death, but much more by his life. Now, we can take that two ways. We can take that as because he is raised from the dead as a resurrected Savior, well, certainly we see that, don't we? But uh, I think we discount too much the fact that he lived a perfect life, therefore he was the qualified sacrifice that's pictured in the Passover lamb, the unblemished lamb, remember? Well, Jesus was the unblemished human. 
and he was able to die in our place, the innocent for the guilty, and he did it and said, uh, it is finished. He drained the cup of God's wrath, and he did that for us. Now, this is the gospel. We're saved by putting our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. We are saved because we believe that what he did completely satisfied God the Father on our behalf. Now, think about everything that that means. It cleanses us. It releases us. It uh, fortifies us. It, it enables God, the Holy Spirit, to indwell us. It fits us for heaven. It makes us worthy to pray. All of this is uh, because of what the Son has done for us. So, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, through the Word of God alone, is really the key. And those words alone are very important because there are other denominations and other religions that they would say, oh yeah, it's faith in Christ that saves you, but faith alone in Christ alone, well, they'll fight you back over that. No, you have to do certain things. You have to keep certain things. You have to live a certain way. And uh, that's what was happening in Galatia. There were Jews that were coming from Jerusalem, and obviously they are the bona fide Christians because they come from Jerusalem. They uh, hobnob with the apostles. They are the ones that are living where Jesus lived. They're from the quote-unquote holy land, right? And they would come to Galatia and they would say, well, it's wonderful that you've turned from idols to trust in Christ. But, and they would say to the men, have you uh, submitted to the act of circumcision? And uh, you can imagine, you know, what that would be like and how they would respond to that. And the Judaizers here that came from Jerusalem literally said, unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved. Yeah, that's pretty blunt, isn't it? And so uh, Paul is looking at that and saying, what in the world are you all doing? Why are you listening to that? And uh, why would you even for a moment consider submitting to any of that. Now, you can be circumcised if you want to, but not for the point of salvation, Paul would say. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later in the book. And uh, so as this is happening, and Paul said, I, I marvel that you were so easily bewitched by all of this, that you are pulled away from all of this stuff. Well, uh, what would the answer be for these uh, Jewish Christians? Well, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not telling you the whole story. He is trying to make it easier so that uh, more of you will do, uh, you know, will become Christians and convert to Christ, which will help his credibility and help his ministry. And, you know, there's always the hint of it might bring in more money. He's giving you the uh, easy but insufficient way. And so Paul is uh, going through this book to show that salvation by grace through faith is the Bible way, it's the Old Testament way, it's the way of God, and uh, he gives a defense of all of this to show that uh, he's not wrong, but the Judaizers are actually wrong. And um, I want you to think about Paul a little bit of history, a little bit of background would be helpful here because it appears 
that Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, had a pretty easy and cushy life. Now, I, I don't know uh, how his dad was. I don't know uh, what his uh, physical situation was or anything like that. But there are some things we can learn from his life to think about how privileged he really was before his uh, conversion. He was uh, born with Roman citizenship. Now, Roman citizenship gave you a privileged life. It, it gave you access to places other people couldn't go. It gave you certain legal protections that other people didn't have. In the 16th chapter of Acts, when Paul and Silas go to Philippi, uh, they get into some trouble there because of preaching the gospel, and they are beaten severely, and then they are put in the innermost part of the prison. They can't move their arms or their legs. In fact, generally they would have their legs spread apart and then chained to certain places, and then have their arms spread apart and raised and chained to uh, shackles. And uh, you can imagine how very uncomfortable that could be. It'd be hard to sleep. You can't uh, move them. Uh, they would cramp. They would be pulled maybe uh, a little bit out of joint and strained. And uh, that was something that was illegal to do to a Roman citizen. But of course, nobody asked. And uh, I don't uh, suppose Paul or Silas said anything about it until later. But that's when you remember there was the earthquake. And then the Philippian jailer gets saved. And then the Philippian jailer uh, takes Paul and Silas and he cleans out their wounds from their beatings. And then it comes out that uh, this was illegal, an illegal arrest and trial, uh, so-called, and uh, the beating and the imprisonment for Roman citizens. Well, if you read in that chapter, you find that the uh, city officials couldn't get Paul and Silas out of the prison fast enough uh, because they knew they were in trouble for doing that. It was illegal. It gave them certain rights. In an interchange, uh, Paul is asked, how did you obtain your Roman citizenship? And Paul said, I was born with mine. And then this person said, I paid a lot of money for my citizenship. So um, that tells me a couple of things. Paul being born with Roman citizenship, then it must have been that his father or grandfather or somebody was wealthy enough to purchase that citizenship for their family. Because once you got it, then your heirs were also Roman citizens. So when I think about that, I think about Paul and the extra privilege and rights that he had that typical Jews wouldn't have because he was a Roman citizen, particularly when he traveled and things like that. It also tells me, too, that his family was, must have been a wealthy family. Let's think about it. If you had to purchase Roman citizenship, uh, I'm sure the price was not cheap at all for that. So they had the money for that. But think about the other things we know about Paul. He was given the very best education, kind of an Ivy League expensive education in Jerusalem at the feet of the premier teacher of his day, Gamaliel. So uh, what does that tell us about them? They were intellectual. They valued an education. They must have been 
uh, a little bit more upper class, and they had the money to actually provide that for uh, the Apostle Paul. So uh, he had it made. He was kind of a, a blue blood of the Jewish religion. We know that when he talks about his life in Judaism, that he says, I excelled above many of my contemporaries. And so he kept the law. He was a good student. He was smart. He was sharp. We know that from reading his writings, even in our own Bibles. Can you imagine going against him in a debate? Can you imagine uh, trying to argue against somebody like the Apostle Paul? Now, all of this was setting him up for a really cushy and good life, uh, you know, barring disease or barring um, maybe, uh, as happened later on, a rebellion of the Jews that brought the Romans in uh, where the religious leaders would have been attacked. But at this point, that's not going on. <coughs> Pardon me. And so as Paul is uh, living, uh, he can go anywhere virtually that he wants to go. He can do anything he wants to do. He's always welcomed in the synagogues. And even in Jerusalem, he's considered to be uh, somebody who is one of the privileged elite. And think about what all that would afford him. And uh, why did all of that change? Because when he was on the road to Damascus, and he must have been friends with the high priest because the high priest gave him letters to go and to imprison and kill Christians in Damascus. Well, in that, uh, on that journey, he meets the Lord Jesus Christ and his life completely changes. Now, if Paul were simply playing some kind of a game, manipulating the gospel and trying to become popular and trying to have an easy life, well, he surely did a stupid thing if this was all simply a put-on or simply a game. Think about what Paul was doing out of the frying pan into the fire, except he wasn't really in a frying pan. It uh, may be that he was getting out of a nice, soft, cushy mattress into a, you know, a hot lava or something like that. He didn't really do himself any favors with all of this. And what he did as a Jew, you remember he said he did it with tremendous zealousness for the traditions of his fathers. Now, everything the Judaizers are saying to the Galatian believers that are misleading them would be in line with the tradition of their fathers. You would think Paul would be gung-ho about that. You think Paul would be saying, let me in on that. Yeah, they're right. But he wasn't. This Hebrew of the Hebrews, this Jew of Jews, is the one who is fighting for, number one, the purity of the gospel. Number two, the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. And uh, number three, the freedom from the law that these Gentiles ought to have. Uh, that's quite a change and quite a, a difference in all of that. So um, if the Gentiles were right, then think about this. Paul could have avoided a lot of trouble. If the Judaizers are right, Paul could have said, yeah, I, I, I got you. I'm, I'm, I'll join with you. And he could go back to being a Pharisee. He could go back to being a teacher. He could go back to having high status and high privilege. He could have just remained a Jew. If Christianity is simply just another sect of Judaism, it probably wouldn't have been persecuted 
to the degree it was by the Jews. If you'll think about it in the book of Acts, we would uh, maybe think that Paul's biggest problem was the Roman government. It really wasn't. The biggest problem he had were Jews that would come and try to undermine him and uh, try to, uh, well, sometimes when he would go into the synagogue, as were, were his custom, uh, they would turn on him and it would cause trouble for him, both locally and from Jerusalem. So uh, that was really the main source of the problem. And uh, I think that had Christianity just kind of adopted Judaism or Judaism adopted Christianity, I don't think Rome would have cared just a whole lot because they pretty well left the Jews alone. So Paul could have said, I believe in Jesus, and, but in the rest of it, I'm just going to leave well enough alone. I'll still go to the temple, still go to the feast, still do the rituals, and I'm not going to antagonize anybody by saying that Jesus alone is the way of salvation. You see what I'm getting at? And so as Paul gives a little bit of his biography here, I mean, can you imagine what his family thought? Can you imagine what people he went to school with under Gamaliel thought? Can you imagine what people in his hometown thought? They must have thought that he was crazy. And uh, he goes to Jerusalem at one point, and you remember he tried to join himself to the Christians there, but they were afraid of him and uh, wouldn't let him in until Barnabas brought him in. I mean, why would Paul go through all of that for a lie? Why would Paul make his life worse and leave a, a cushy, privileged life for a lie or anything like that? And that's how everything is uh, set up because Paul is obviously interested in two things, the salvation of souls and the glory of God. And uh, he does this at peril of his own life, being attacked by his countrymen, being attacked by the Romans, being imprisoned, and eventually martyred. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 speaks of that. So uh, let's look in Galatians chapter 1. Let's look at the last half of verse 7. And it says, But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus, and then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God I do not lie, afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, that's where his hometown of Tarsus would have been located, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith uh, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Now, uh, think about this. If you want to give credibility to the gospel that you're preaching, you want the Galatian believers to believe you instead of falling into the trap and the bondage and the false gospel of the Judaizers, how would you do it? Well, think about uh, Paul's strategy here. Number one, Paul wanted them to know that he was an outcast. He wasn't one of the elites. He wasn't on the inside. He was 
uh, completely an outcast here. His conversion, in other words, did not profit him at all. It made life worse. And so that backs up what I was saying in the introduction. What he is trying to get across to them is, if the Judaizers are right, why am I going through all of this? Why would I bother? I could have been one of them very, very easily and had a much, much better life. But you notice what he did after he gets saved. Uh, he has to run for his life in Damascus. They had to let him down out of the city walls. And then he goes to Arabia. Now, is that an easy place to live? Think about what you know about the deserts. They're hot. There's very little vegetation, very little animal life. There are not many people living on the desert. And water is very scarce. It's a tough place to live. <coughs> so where does he go? To uh, an easy place? No, he goes to a hard place, goes to Arabia, and then he returns again to Damascus. Uh, Paul, that's probably one of the last places you want to go. Do you remember what they did to you last time? They put out a warrant for your arrest and a price on your head, and you had to have uh, fellow believers let you out of the wall in a basket for crying out loud. Why are you going back to Damascus? And then it says, after three years, went up to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is kind of the source of a lot of his trouble and a lot of his persecution. And he goes in to uh, see Peter and remains with him for 15 days. And um, the Christians that were there, understandably, they were afraid of him. And the Jews considered him a traitor. So uh, think about all of this. Everywhere he goes, he has to run for his life. There's trouble. There are riots. There are prisons. And uh, that's going to be true for the rest of his life. And so Paul's point is, if I were doing this to make life easier, to gain the favor of men, wow, this isn't working. And uh, somebody has said that the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect different results. Well, this would mark Paul as kind of a crazy person. He's either crazy or he's right. And he's convinced and this is the way he is living. So that's how he sets up his defense about the gospel and the reality of it. Okay, let's go to point number two. He wanted them to know that he was not merely a rubber stamp or a copycat. Now, this is the way the uh, Jewish people of that time operated. They would study the Mishnah and the Talmud, and those were commentaries on the Old Testament law. They would read the various rabbis, they would listen to lectures, and uh, they would study all of that. And uh, they would do just enough of the scripture, but they really put a lot of emphasis on what people had to say and what the rabbis had to say about that. Well, they would assume then that maybe Paul, when he came up with his quote-unquote gospel, as they would think, uh, that, you know, he had been hanging around some people in Jerusalem. Maybe he had listened to Peter's uh, sermon that he preached on Pentecost where 3,000 were saved. Maybe he put, uh, pulled that up on YouTube or something like that or a podcast. You know, I'm kidding. And um, maybe he uh, 
have been hanging around them, listening to them, and he was just being a parrot. It wasn't real. It was just that he was kind of a parrot. He was just repeating what he had heard. But he says in verse 19, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And he says, Now concerning, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. So this is something that uh, he strategized here. I'm sure that was led by the Lord. But he didn't see anybody initially except Peter, very well respected. Everybody loved Peter. Everybody knew Peter. And uh, Peter, the one who walked with the Lord. Peter, who in Matthew 16 made that uh, great confession there near the pagan city of Caesarea Philippi. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends him, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, remember Paul's experience on his way to Damascus to uh, persecute the Christians, wanted to wipe out the church. He meets Jesus. And then his life is radically changed. And then he spends time in the Arabian desert. That was his seminary. And there he's instructed by the Lord in all of this. And so uh, what, what are we to think about all of this? Peter said, uh, you know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, gets a blessing from Jesus because this didn't come from the rabbis. This didn't come from flesh and blood. This is something that is revealed by God. Oh, and by the way, whenever you get saved and you believe the gospel, humans may have preached and shared the gospel to you, but you don't believe it, you don't receive it, and you don't trust it until it's revealed to you by God. Well, that's what happened with Paul. So Paul and Peter linked up. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto them. And then Paul goes also to John. Why would he go to John? John is the one who is the beloved disciple. He's the one that was close to Jesus Christ. He's the one that leaned on his chest when they were reclined at the table to uh, uh, feast on the Passover and when the Lord's Supper was uh, instituted. John is the one who actually went to the cross and Jesus actually spoke to him from the cross and <coughs> told him to take care of his own mother Mary. I mean, John had high status. John is the only one of the apostles who died a natural death his persecution was he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, but he wasn't uh, beheaded or anything like that. His brother James was, but he wasn't. And uh, you remember in uh, John 21, when Jesus talks to Peter and restores him, you know, do you love me, feed my sheep three times? And then he says, uh, you know, when you're young, you can do whatever you want, but when you're old, they're going to stretch forth your arms and take you where you don't want to go. Stretching forth your arms was a Jewish uh, way of referring to crucifixion. And uh, you remember Peter said, pointing to John, uh, well, what about him? And Jesus said, basically, that's none of your business. What is it to you if he remains until I come? Well, he almost did, it seems like. Paul, uh, pardon me, John was up in his 90s, and then he actually saw, as he wrote the book of Revelation, the vision of the return of Christ. 
And so uh, when Paul goes and talks to John, you can see why. He's a very influential man. He's a man who walked with Jesus and was loved by Jesus. And then it also says that he talked to James. Now this James was not the Apostle James because the Apostle James in the book of Acts we're told that Herod came after the Christians and what did he do? He slew James with the sword. This is a different James. The James here, Paul tells us, is the Lord's brother. The Lord's brother. He's the author of the book of James that we read about. And James, this particular James, is referred to over and over in the book of Acts as being the leader, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And because he grew up with Jesus, there again, you can imagine how well thought of he must have been and the insight that he must have had. And uh, that's kind of phenomenal to think about. So Paul spends time with James. Now what is he doing when he's spending time with them? He's sharing his story, his understanding, his gospel, and you know what he found out? It matched up perfectly with theirs. Paul was not just a guy who got a heat stroke and then came up with all of this kind of stuff. And so he saw them. Now, I don't know exactly why he uh, met with them privately. Maybe it was to keep from causing trouble. Maybe it uh, would have been controversial. By meeting with all of the others, they would have kind of gotten into discussions and people asking questions and people making accusations, maybe things that would have come from these Judaizers. And uh, so he meets with them first privately and he has their affirmation about all of this. And so uh, this is giving further credibility. And uh, I, I think also there was the idea that when these Judaizers came and they puffed out their chest and said, we are official, we came from Jerusalem, we interact and rub shoulders with the apostles. Well, now Paul can say the same thing. I went to Jerusalem and I was there with the apostles and you know what I have? Apostolic authority on everything that I'm preaching and the Judaizers, of course, do not have that. So, consider Paul's strategy and what he is doing, okay? And um, you can find some other scriptures in there about what happened and about James, the brother of the Lord, and uh, how James was there on the day of Pentecost. Apparently, sometime after uh, the death of Christ and when he was raised and in that 40 days before the Holy Spirit came, Jesus' brothers got saved and they believed. They thought it was crazy beforehand, but they're there on the day of Pentecost. And so uh, this James becomes, as we said before, the leader of the church, and he actually wrote the book of James. More importantly, he affirms the Apostle Paul. See the credibility that is building up with all of this. Peter, James, and John, they were, are able to put hands on you and say, this is a genuine work of God. And uh, that is going to give tremendous credibility with um, the uh, Galatian believers. Now remember, Peter was the first one to take the gospel to the Gentiles there at uh, Caesarea. He goes in and he preaches to Cornelius, and Cornelius and his household get saved. Now Peter had trouble with that, and that's when Peter had the vision of the sheep being lowered with the unclean animals, 
and the spirit says, kill and eat. No, Lord, because I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And uh, then the Lord says, what I've called clean, don't you dare call unclean. Okay? And then the people from Cornelius show up at Simon the Tanner's house, and uh, Peter says, now I get it that uh, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. In fact, after the Gentiles were saved, the same thing happened to them that happened to the Jewish apostles on the day of Pentecost. God was confirming, same spirit, same salvation, and this is before they had been uh, circumcised or kept any feast or anything like that. The Holy Spirit confirms their salvation. So in Acts 10, 17, quoting Peter, then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so Peter is affirming the salvation of Gentiles without them becoming Jews. Get it? So that's just a deeper layer of credibility that, man, these Judaizers are going to have trouble arguing against that. And, um, you know, when we think about these things and we think about all Paul went through and all of the difficulties that he had, Paul is just simply saying, I've got the affirmation and I have paid the price and lived through the rejection of all of this. And so number three, Paul had chosen a difficult path. If he wanted an easy road, he could have gone a different way. But he said, afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which means he really didn't have any influence there except rumors, except what they had heard. And so when he talks about this, he goes back to his hometown, to people that he was raised with. Don't you know they were crazy? What about the rabbi that taught him in the Sabbath school? What about his parents? What about his brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles? What about other people in town there? We know you, and who do you think you are? Remember, Jesus told us that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And Jesus sure found that out when he preached at the synagogue in Nazareth, didn't he? So why did Paul go there? He always seemed to choose the hard route. He always seemed to go to the tough places. Everywhere he would travel, first place he would go was the synagogue. Well, that's just asking for trouble. When he is doing all of this, he's in Arabia. That's a hard place. And then he goes to Jerusalem, where the brethren there won't even receive him. So uh, Paul is saying, why would I do all of this? And why would I go through all of this if it uh, were untrue? And we finish up here with number four, because Paul had one magnificent obsession. Notice how he makes this point. And they glorified God in me. That's really all that mattered. When uh, souls are saved, God is glorified. When the gospel is proclaimed, God is glorified. When true doctrine is preached, God is glorified. When brothers and sisters in Christ have true fellowship, God is glorified. And uh, that's all Paul cared about because that wraps up and encapsulates everything. And he was one who paid the price all the way to the end, was faithful to death, and he had the courage to go to the hard places. Alone three years in the Arabian desert, going back to Damascus where he had to run for his life, and going to Jerusalem where the brothers 
and the sisters there didn't even want to receive him and even going to his hometown. Boy, he certainly didn't take an easy path. Why? Because the resurrection of Christ was real. Jesus is the true Messiah of the Jews and salvation comes through trusting in what Christ has done, not through the keeping of rules and rituals. Those things pointed to Christ, but the Jews had kind of missed the point. Paul got it now, and Paul was willing to love people enough and love his Lord enough to suffer for them. You know, we don't, want, we don't like rejection. We don't like people making fun of us. We don't like people pulling away from us. And yet Paul said, no, I love the Lord and I love them enough to uh, go through this. So Paul knew hurt and rejection. He knows danger. And he also exercises courage for the salvation of souls and God's glory. All of this testifies to his impeccability, to his credibility on all of that. Now, if the Judaizers are right, then Paul suffered for nothing, and Paul was a fool. But here's Paul's statement, 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, listen to this, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Boy, that's convicting. Are we willing to suffer for the gospel? We have brothers and sisters in the persecuted church today that are, and yet look how easy we have it. Look at our freedom and look how little we do for Christ and how little we do for the gospel. May we learn a lesson from the Apostle Paul. If what we say we believe is real, then we should be willing to suffer and pay the price for it, and we should be zealous for the gospel. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, hope that this is a blessing to you as you teachers teach this to your class or as those of you who are watching to keep up do this. Thank you for doing that. And uh, hey, we'll do it again sometime, Lord willing, and look forward to seeing you then. So thank you for your time and God bless you.